0: All right, we're on to uh, session, session. I don't know what session number, but lesson eight, <laughs> no matter what <laughs> session we're on, uh, where we're going to talk about baptism, uh, and <clears throat> I've done this particular... Summary of Christian Doctrine class, we go through all the things up to baptism, the Lord's Supper. Uh, These are the ones that get more questions than some of the other ones, so feel free to interrupt if you have any questions. Uh, To start with, we're going to talk about the difference between a sacrament and a sacrifice. And this kind of helps us understand what baptism is and what the Lord's Supper is, um, that they are sacraments not sacrifices. (laughs) A sacrifice is something that we do for God, um, like not eating meat during Lent or um, you know giving money to God uh, through the church or uh, you know Abraham's famous for taking his firstborn son and tying him up and putting him on an altar to kill him that's a sacrifice in the Old Testament it was the lambs and the goats and the birds being killed and burned on the altar uh, That's sacrifice starts with us And it's something, then, that we do to make God happy. On the other hand, a sacrament is something that God does for us. The action is done by him, not us. And that's where baptism falls in, uh, the Lord's Supper falls in, uh, the preaching of the word really falls in, the forgiveness of sins. All those are things that God does for us. um, And that's the, the place it starts. So, we're going to talk about a sacrament. Um, How do we define what a sacrament is? We have those three lines there. Would somebody read those for us? A sacrament is a sacred act instituted by God himself in which there are certain visible means connected with God's word by which God offers, gives, and seals to us the forgiveness of sins which Christ earned through his life, death, and resurrection. All right. I always teach in confirmation that it's a math equation, that a visible means plus God's word for the forgiveness of sins plus forgiveness of sins equals a sacrament. That's the definition of sacrament. Visible means plus God's word plus forgiveness of sins, that's a sacrament. And so um There are things in the church that are sacraments, things that are in the scriptures that are sacraments because they have a visible means, God's word attached to it, and they deliver forgiveness of sins. Uh, In our, um, this is the next question, in our Lutheran church, uh, looking at the scriptures and examining all the things, we have only two sacraments baptism and the lord's supper we could probably say two and a half because confession and absolution falls into that in this way you're baptized and throughout your life uh the way your baptism plays itself out is uh, day by day we confess our sins and receive forgiveness that's baptism continuing to work throughout our lives that's different than some other churches for example the catholic church has Seven or eight uh, sacraments. Eight, um, because if you're a priest, you get ordination instead of marriage, but really each person only gets seven um, baptism, uh, confirmation, um, marriage, uh, the last rites. I'm missing one, two there, but I don't remember what it is. So they have seven sacraments. <coughs> we don't because we don't see God's promise of forgiveness of sins attached to marriage right you're getting married soon getting married doesn't forgive your sins right uh it's something that God blesses and talks about it's positive it's good but it doesn't deliver forgiveness of sins so we would not say that it is a sacrament uh, rather it's an institution uh, of God that he he created for us um, I don't know if I'm making any sense. Questions on that? So how do you get to half percent? I guess I'm quite following that. Well, in the large catechism, uh, Luther talks about uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and then he also talks about um, confession and absolution being a sacrament. And yet, when he talks about it in such a way that Confession and absolution is only sacrament in so far as it is your baptism playing out in day-to-day life. It's the water and the word that were placed on you long ago that lead you to be a Christian and confess your sins and be reinstituted in that forgiveness of sins from baptism. Um, And so, it is a sacrament, but it's not. It's not its own thing, because what would be the physical means in confession and absolution. Something that you would be doing. What's that? Something that we would be doing. Well, yeah, th- and there's, there's not, there's not water, there's not bread, there's not wine. Nothing attached. Nothing attached to a, a physical <coughs> way. Um, that makes sense. Okay. okay. Thank you. And it, it's towards the end here, in this section here. Um, here you see baptism both in power and meaning includes also a third sacrament which has been called repentance or a confession absolution. Okay. So I don't know. It's right in that little section of the large catechism. Sorry, I stole your catechism. So and and so in that way, confession absolution is third, but it's really only a part of baptism, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. We're going to start by looking at baptism today, see how far we get, and then we'll move to the Lord's Supper after that. Um, and so what is uh, baptism? Um, when did God institute it? These are the things we're going to ask here. So first off, when did God institute baptism? Matthew 28:18 through 20. This is my confirmation verse. Jesus came and said to them, this is as he's going to ascend into heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, uh, and make disciples of all nations. And in our English translation, we have that comma there, which isn't necessarily wrong, but um, these are words that are written. So how do you make disciples? The way you do it, comma, is Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit the second way you make disciples is teaching them to observe All that I have commanded you by baptizing and teaching the God, uh, God's commandments. We're creating disciples uh, of all nations And behold then I am with you always to the end of the age in those things baptizing and teaching all that uh, I have commanded you So there what's Jesus say? Uh, To make the church, what ought you do? Baptize and teach. Baptize and teach. Uh, And he he says it very specifically there, go baptize, go teach. Uh, So what's the reason that we baptize people as a church? God told us to. Yeah, Jesus told us to. And so we're going to because he said so. Um, what does the word baptize mean? And we have a definition there to wash or apply water by immersing, washing, pouring, etc. The word in the Greek is baptizo. Um, hard, hard to understand that one, right? Baptizo means baptize. It means to wash, uh, with water. It could be, um, putting all the way into the water it could be taking water and putting it on the thing Um, there's one place in scripture where uh, in the new testament they talk about baptizing the dishes right you wash the uh, outside of the cup so that it looks really clean but on the inside it's dirty and gross the word that's used when you wash the cup is you baptize it. That's what the word means. And for the Jewish people, this was an important thing. They have all sorts of ritual baths all over Israel uh, for ritual cleansing, where they would get in the water and come out of the water and be clean. And they even had it set up so. When you're dirty and you're gonna go get washed, you use the dirty stairs. You get down in the water, you wash and you clean, and you go up on the clean stairs, not the dirty stairs, because the dirty stairs would make you dirty again, so you have to go back in. They had moving water through these bathtubs so that the water was always taking the dirty water out and putting clean water in. This is a very big deal uh, for the Jewish people. And so the word baptized, they would completely understand how it means to wash in some way, shape, or form. Uh, And so Mark 7, 4, uh, we have that word being used. This is the one I told you about. Somebody want to read Mark 7, 4? And when they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they washed. And there, were, there are many other uh, traditions that they observed, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. All right. So you see there that word uh, wash in both of those sentences is uh, a form of baptizo, so they're dipping yeah. dining couches and whatnot. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's the, the key there, because there are some who say, like the church that I grew up in um, before I was a Lutheran, would say that it's not a baptism unless you get completely into the water. Now, this scripture passage is helpful here because they're using the word baptize for dining couches. How do you get... In the Israeli desert, or or wherever in Israel, an entire baptismal couch, or not a baptismal couch, (laughs) a dining couch, into the water to baptize it. Can you do that? No. No. Um, You take the water from someplace else and you pour it onto the couch, and that's how you wash it. Or you get a rag wet and you wash it. Okay, yeah. Also, wasn't there a ritual washing that they would do that uh, had an amount of water that would be equivalent to what was held in a couple eggshells? Yes, there was, and there's um, rituals where they wash just the feet of the person, and Jesus says, if you wash just the feet, they're clean. There's, There's a list of rituals of washing that it's about... I don't know, a mile long of all the different ways they did it. And, and the important thing for us to hear and to understand is that when it uses the word baptize, it does not only mean the whole thing goes in the water and the whole thing comes out. Uh, we can't, and the reason this is important when we baptize a baby, what do we do? water on the head right we pour water on the head of the baby we don't take the whole baby and hold it under the water and say I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and then pull the baby out of the water uh, as if putting them in the water completely is is a a key part of that it it can be just the applying of water in some way shape or form whether it's egg sized (coughs) amount of water um, when um, A baby is born prematurely in the hospital and is in the NICU. Uh, We can baptize it with an eyedropper and just a teeny tiny drop of water. That that counts as well. It doesn't have to be like my church when I was growing up. The whole thing goes in. The whole thing comes out. There are some fun Eastern Orthodox baptism rituals. Maybe you've seen this um, on the Internet where they have a big baptismal font and the the priest grabs the baby and goes whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> back and forth in the water. The babies are always like, you know, what, what's going on? Um, we're not required to do that. We, we just have to have water and the word. So I, that was probably not answering your question, Wayne, but um, does that help a little bit? Do you, do you know specifics about that? No. no, no. That. Okay. We're saying yeah. it's an operon, on which we... We dump them or not. Correct. The entire promise is contained in one molecule of water, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty, and the Word, uh, as much as it is in an entire ocean uh, and the Word. So, yeah. Or or even um, the pastor who was two before me. In North Dakota, three before me, uh, he went to Israel and he came back with a um, a quart jar full of water from the Jordan River, and used that for baptisms. And I mean, it, okay. it's just just water, any amount of water, and the word does the work. Um, I. Th- Boy, those other ones—that's what we kind of want to get to. And the reason we have, the reason we're spending a little bit of time on that is because there are the churches that teach the entire body must be immersed for it to be a valid baptism. And the challenge with that is, is that puts the emphasis on our work again, making sure we get our entire body in the water, rather than God's work through water and the Word uh, outside of our control. Yeah. This is kind of off the beaten path, but yeah. I have a friend that's 26 years old and has two little kids, and she demanded that she be rebaptized again. She was Catholic and then went to another uh, uh, denomination, and she decided that she didn't do it right the first time. So yep. what do you say to somebody like that? Well, that, yeah, we, we have to talk about, about that. that. Is there a, a scripture that you would suggest? What I, what I would start with in that regard is because the desire to be rebaptized grows out of um, the understanding that baptism is our work as mm-hmm. sacrifice rather than God's work as sacrament. Okay. Okay? And so when I was baptized, a part of my baptism ritual was before they baptized me, I said, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I desire to be baptized. And so baptism was my work of saying, now I'm going to be a Christian. The challenge with that is this. When I'm standing there in the water, uh, and I say I desire to be baptized so that I can be a Christian, I'm being honest, right? But what comes with being a Christian? God to leave was that allowing God to leave and do right his work. to keep his word right and so we, we just we've done the Ten Commandments when I say I desire to be a Christian that means I'm going to not curse or swear that means I'm not going to steal I'm not going to lust I'm not going to gossip and all those things so I when I'm standing in the water do I mean that do I, I don't want to do those things anymore because now I'm going to be a Christian I absolutely mean that right. the challenge is, is when I get out of the water and I go home and um, I was twelve when I was baptized, and I had a brother who would be ten and, and I guarantee you within twenty four hours of me being baptized and seriously desiring to be a Christian, my brother ticked me off <laughs> and what did I do? Punch right well, yeah we didn't really punch as brothers, but we definitely did pin to the ground and rub faces in the carpet or whatever you know. That happened. And so right then, my desire is to murder my brother. And the question then is, did my baptism count? Did I really mean my promise that I'm going to be a Christian then? And and there's the challenge, right? Because if I was really going to be a Christian, I would live like a Christian. And so maybe that baptism didn't count. I broke my end of the deal. And so then I need to be re-baptized And this time, I'm really going to do it. Um, If baptism is our work, we never know if we did it well enough. And yet scripture teaches that baptism is God's work. It's his promise to us. And that's good news, because when God makes a promise, does he ever break it? No. Never. And so when he says, you're my child, I take away your sins, and I'm going to make sure you get into heaven in baptism, and it's his promise, we know that promise won't be broken, even when I rub my brother's face in the carpet or whatever. Now, that's where confession and absolution comes in. I shouldn't do that. And I can say, I sinned to my pastor or to my brother, and hear the words, I forgive you, which restore that baptismal, relationship with God again and again. The, the catechism says that uh, baptism indicates that the old Adam, the old man in us, should by daily contrition and repentance drown and die so that a new man can rise up uh, to live before God in righteousness and purity. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Other questions? That was a good one. We'll talk more about that later alright let's go to the bottom of the page there through whom does the church administer baptism somebody want to read 1 Corinthians 4 this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God alright this is one how one should regard us as servants of Christ who is the us that is talking or writing these words in 1st Corinthians Paul. yeah St. Paul um, what was St. Paul's job if you will yes he was a tent maker but also his job was he traveled around to different towns and villages and cities and he spread the word yeah and what would we call that job he was a disciple. A, yeah a pastor disciple apostle uh, all those things kind of get wrapped into the same thing um, so Paul um, as a pastor he says you should regard us as servants of Christ or as a pastor and then he says stewards of the mysteries of God and the word mystery there uh, is a Greek word musterion and then as uh, uh, the Language of the church becomes Latin because that's the language of the Roman Empire that word gets translated into Latin as sacramentum Uh, And that's where we get our word sacrament and so Paul is saying you should regard us pastors as stewards of the sacraments or mysteries of God in which we would place baptism in the Lord's Supper so Primarily, on behalf of the church, who's the one who should be doing baptisms? Pastors. Pastors. Now, there's always a little bit of friction when we say that. We're talking about, in the church, when a baptism needs to be done, we should call the pastor for the sake of good order. He should come and do the baptism. Now, Let's say, okay. So you guys are getting married, and so how long to the wedding? By the way, September. September. Okay. So September, which is eight months away, and then nine more months, right? Uh, So in a year and a half, you'll have, you know, twins that are being born, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're just gonna. Oh wait. Okay. You have a baby, and and uh, something's wrong with baby and the doctor says, you know, we don't know what's gonna happen. Baby might die, baby might not die. Um, And you say, okay, we need to get baby baptized for their spiritual good. You call up pastor and you get a busy signal or no answer. What do you do? Well, it's not just pastors that have the ability to baptize, it's for the sake of good order. In emergency situations, others can perform baptism you could call one of the elders of the church they could come and do it for you if you don't feel comfortable doing it if there's nobody you can find and you want baby to get baptized you can do the baptism yourself as long as water and the word are there it is a baptism in good order normally 99.999 percent of the time pastors do the baptism but occasionally, in emergency situations, uh, someone else can do the baptism as well. I see there's hymnals back there. If you look in your hymnal, um, you can do it You know, when the sermon is not exciting or whatever. It, just teasing there. Mostly, I hope. <laughs> in the hymnal, I don't know if I can find it here. There is... In order of emergency baptism, Um, I think it's towards the back here. Maybe I'm wrong. What's that? I have seen it. Yeah, I can never remember the page because... I don't know, but I think there's a a page on the back that tells where it's at. I'm not sure. Yeah. I know. I know it's in there too. We'll have to look up the exact page. At least it's easy to find, right? <laughs> because it's an emergency baptism. You know, you you won't be nervous or in a hurry or anything. It's in there uh, for that very purpose. Uh, that when there's an emergency, we can have a baptism ASAP. Oh, there we go. Page one thousand twenty-three. One zero two three. It is it just stuck to the other page, so I kept flipping past it. In that case, anyone uh, in an urgent situation, in the absence of a pastor, any Christian can baptize. But in normal circumstances, pastors do it for good order in the church. So what you should hear is, is that don't be afraid in the emergency situation to do a baptism, but it's probably not the best situation for you to. Baptize your kid in the bathtub with no one else around if that makes sense. It is an act of the church All right Who then is to be baptized this is on page 30 once again. We have Matthew 28 where? Uh, Jesus says go and make disciples of All nations, all nations. The word all there is important It doesn't mean go make disciples, uh, or baptize, or teach only those who speak English. It doesn't say go make disciples by baptizing and teaching only those who uh, dress the same way that you do. Uh, It doesn't say go and make disciples by baptizing only those who are of a certain age or race or intelligence level or anything like that. It says all, which is why when when couples have babies, we encourage them to bring the babies as soon as feasible. To be baptized. That's why we go into other countries like China uh, or you know, any country that doesn't have the church, which there's fewer and fewer and fewer of those, uh, and we teach and baptize in those places. Uh, all people, God desires to be baptized and be brought to faith. And that's what Peter says there in Acts 2. The next one, if someone would read what Peter says there. And I think this is important too, he says, for the promise is for you and your children. Uh, There are churches, for example, I told you, I was baptized when I was 12. That's because the church I was in at the time taught that until I was to the age of accountability, um, baptism wouldn't matter for me. I had to make a decision I had to be smart enough to make the decision and until such time as that was the case uh, I could not be baptized and baptism wouldn't do me any good Um, there and you guys know churches like that right Um, and yet Peter says the promise of baptism is for you and your children Um, that's an important thing because how do I say it? Do children sin? Yes. If you don't think so, you can borrow mine for the rest of the day. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Um, they do. They sin and the solution to sin is Christ crucified and the way that solution comes to us is in baptism. So do kids need to be baptized? Yes. If they sin, they need baptism uh, to bring that promise of forgiveness to them. And so, That's what baptism is and does, and it is for them as well, for you and for your children, and even for all of us who are far off from St. Peter, which would include us living 8,000 miles away, 2,000 years later. Baptism is for everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Jesus teaches about baptism in John 3, unless one's born of water and of the spirit, Uh, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Where do we get water and the Spirit? Remembering that the Holy Spirit is always, always, always attached to God's Word. We get water and the Spirit in baptism. Um, Mark 10, we read during the baptismal rite when we baptize people. Um, Does somebody want to read that passage from Mark 10 there? And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. All right. Jesus... Uh, when children are prevented from coming to him, is really mad or indignant. Um, and he says, do not hinder children from coming to me, uh, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Meaning, this gift of baptism that brings forgiveness of sins, we should bring uh, to children, or rather the other way around, we should bring children to Jesus so they can receive that gift. Um and Matthew 18, whoever causes one of the little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better to have a great millstone fast around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. That's not a good way to go, by the way. <laughs> in case you were wondering. <laughs> yeah, at least it's quick. Um, Jesus is clear in that regard. Bring children to me that I might give them the blessings that I have earned. And the place where that happens for children is in their baptism. Uh, We have to read Titus 3 as well. Would somebody read that one? This one's in the Catechism. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on especially through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All right. I think this is an important one, because this is, what do you think the washing of regeneration is? It is baptism. And it says there, uh, St. Paul writes, that's not a work done by us in righteousness, But rather, it's God's work where he saves us according to his own mercy. And this goes back to what you were asking earlier. Whose work is baptism? It's God's work, not our work. That gives us a great certainty because he's the one making the promise, not us. Um, He's the one saving us. It's not on our shoulders. He pours out his grace on us through Jesus In baptism Uh, and that means all the glory is due to his name all the work is done by him and uh, that's a great comfort and and, um, relief to us questions all right let's go ahead because I see we're getting close to the end of time here let's close with the Lord's Prayer Uh, and then I have a couple things to say before uh, we go to church or home let's pray our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation